All right, it's good to see each of you here this morning. Go and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, the end of that, that's where we're going to be, kind of picking up where we were last week and then diving off into this. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and, and check it out online because um, it was an important verse uh, message that really kind of sets up where we're going for the rest of this series. And so uh, if you don't understand where the kingdom comes from, uh, then you're going to miss out on a lot of this. So that's what we really talked about, that the kingdom, of, the kingdom of heaven comes to earth where the word of Christ intersects with the power of Christ. And so we saw that. So I'm going to begin in those verses, and then we're just going to jump right in today, all right? So I'm going to read verses 23 through 25, pray, and then we'll come back. Uh, now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains and and uh, demon-possessed, the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you asking you, God, to speak to us through your word today. Um, God, you have a word for us today that's important, and uh, God, it helps us understand who you are and who we're supposed to be. So God, help us today to, uh, to, to, to hear it and then to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, as we talked about last week, we're really setting up for chapter 5 to begin uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. But verse 23 is, is one of those verses. Because of Jesus' teaching and preaching ministry, and especially his healing ministry, Jesus is amassing quite a crowd. So wherever Jesus goes, if you remember uh, verse 23, it says that he was teaching in the synagogues. So that was where the people would gather in the city, kind of in the city square, right? They would be gathering in the synagogues, people from different, uh, even from different backgrounds, right? They would be coming to hear teachers. As teachers traveled the, uh, the, the known world, they would be asked to come and to speak at synagogue. And so Jesus is one of those who gets an opportunity to teach in the synagogue. And so as Jesus is teaching there, people go, this is different. This guy's neat. So they begin to kind of follow him and see if they'll teach some more. You know, they kind of follow him around. And then they begin to see him do these healings and uh, just incredible stuff. You saw the list there, uh, intense pains, demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics. Um, it's incredible stuff is happening around Jesus. And so the large crowds are beginning to develop. And Jesus was no doubt among these large crowds proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He would be inviting them to join him in this kingdom, to be different, to live set apart. But at the beginning of Matthew 5, what we see, look at look what begins. Verse 1, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. So he saw the crowds, the crowds were following him verse 25 of chapter 4, but then he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach. So the setup for the Sermon on the Mount that really begins in verse 3 is that Jesus saw the large crowds, and he hightails it up a mountain to get some space, and his disciples come to him. Now, disciples is a real general term, but at this point, we should assume uh, or we already know in chapter 4, Jesus began to call those men that would be his disciples, those, those 12 men who would be his closest disciples that would follow him. 
Right? As a good rabbi, Jesus is doing what other Jewish rabbis would do. He, he, he's developing young men to be future leaders. He's discipling men. That's the word disciple. The word rabbi just means teacher. The word disciple just means student, okay? Or learner. And so he's teaching. He's got the crowds that have gathered, but he leaves the crowds and he gets time just with his committed. These are those who know about the kingdom of God. They have a vested interest. They've given up their, uh, their lives. They've left their fishing nets. They've left all of that to come and follow Jesus. So they've heard about the kingdom. They know, they know that. Their question is, what does it look like, Jesus? Right? And so that's why Matthew gives us this large block of text from Jesus' teaching. Because Jesus begins to describe to them what the kingdom looks like. Now, that's an important question. When you're asking a question about a new culture, if you've ever been on a mission trip or you've ever done something... Before you go, you want to learn about the culture. You want to ask questions and try to figure out what you're going to experience there, right? When I was in school, we had a, uh, a kicker on our football team who was from Thailand. And so if you've been to Thailand, anybody ever been to Thailand? No, okay, me either. Uh, but he had, and so really, really awesome guy. Um, I began to get to know him on the football team, and I realized that he was a Christian. So I was like, Awesome. They have Christians in Thailand too. That's really cool. <laughs> and so we began to talk. And then I could figure out that he's a guitar player, just like me. I was like, they got guitar players in Thailand? And he's like, yeah. And then I find out that he leads worship with his sister at their Thai church in Huntsville. And at this time, I'm leading like the logistics part of our worship team for our uh, youth group. I'm like, dude, I lead worship. And so we get, they have worship leaders in Thailand? Yes, they do. So we begin to talk. And then over a period of time through a relationship, he invites me to come lead worship with him at his Thai church. Okay? Now, I know, I know this friend of mine. I know him. But I've never met another Thai person like that I knew of. I never had Thai food. No, you know, I don't know anything about the culture. And so I had a lot of questions. Right? I'm like, man, what's the church like? Like, is it, is it really, like, do I need to wear a suit? You know, like, is it laid back? Is it traditional? Like, what's, what are we doing? But my biggest question was, I don't know any Thai worship songs. To which he laughed at. And you should have too, because they sing the same things we do. They're just in different, the language. The, I was like, but are the chords? Like, I don't, he's like, the chords are the same, man. Like, the rhythms, the yes, it's all the same. We just changed the word. The words are just in Thai. Oh. Oh, okay, I can do that then. And so I was, I was so nervous, but I remember going that day, and we got up, and we got to go and meet his people, and it was incredible. We got to lead worship there, and I had no idea what they were saying, but I just was singing it in my head, and I was singing out loud, and I'm singing in English, and they're all singing in Thai, and then uh, uh, my friend and his sister made them sing in English too, which was really fun. And so I got to, I, I knew what they were doing then, right? I could stay on tempo and stuff. Um, but it was so neat just to see that different culture. But the reason why I asked all those questions is I didn't want to step into a culture without understanding what I was facing, right? Jesus' disciples, they've, they've said yes. The, their yes is on the table with Jesus. They're like, yes, we want the kingdom of heaven to be, we want to experience that ourselves and we want to help other people experience it. Yes, Jesus. 
but what? (laughs) What does it look like to live out the kingdom of heaven on earth? And this is where Jesus began. They didn't ask the question, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows he's got to teach them these things. Verse 3 begins. Jesus begins to provide kingdom principles. These beatitudes are really what we can think of as the principles of the kingdom. What does it look like to be a part of God's kingdom here on earth? Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, I stop there. Verses 11 and 12 are more of a commentary on verse 10. Because if you'll notice, verse 3 ends with what? The kingdom of heaven is theirs. How does verse 10 end? The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Again, Jesus isn't just making stuff up off the top of his head. Matthew's not just writing it down best to his memory. There's a reason behind this. And so verses 3 through 10, we're to take as the Beatitudes. 11 and 12 are just kind of extra commentary about what's going on. 3 through 10, these eight statements. Jesus gives eight statements about what the kingdom is to look like, right? And so um, the first thing I want you to see in this is that the kingdom is upside down, right? When you look at these, when you look at these things, uh, first off, the word blessed is literally happy. Your version, if you have a different version of the Bible than I use, it may even say happy is, uh, are the poor in spirit, right? Um, it's just, just this, uh, this happiness, this blessedness that, that's being used here. And so when you look at the things, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the humble, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. Does that sound like a powerful kingdom to you? (laughs) No, right? No one hearing this list of people is going to go, oh, dude, this is about to get hot. This is about to be good. This, this, sound, this, this is so backwards or upside down is really the term that we've used throughout Christian history. When you start thinking about this is what the kingdom is supposed to look like, this is not what anybody would have thought. And Jesus continues this through his teaching, this whole upside down idea. right? When he said, um, he talked about himself coming to earth to serve. right? Why would the king of heaven leave there to come and serve? That's upside down from what we would think. He also said, if you're not first, you're last. That's Ricky Bobby's dad, isn't it? What did Jesus say? No, Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Right? He took the whole thing, flipped it on its head. Right? So this is not a, just an idea that we see here, but this whole thing, the kingdom of heaven is this upside down idea. It's totally different than what we'd expect. Why? Again, if, you, if you're a note taker, the kingdom is upside down. But underneath that, you see that it wasn't what the Jews expected. See, the the Jews had heard these great stories, and they had read in the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures at this point. This is the first century uh, uh, AD, right? The first century. 
And so the Jews have heard all these stories about the great kingdom of Israel, that the kingdom of God was literally on earth, and, and they, they saw it, and their ancestors, they, they got to experience something that was so great, but then it got taken away. And so they began to think, what would it look like for the kingdom to come again? It would look like it did then when David was just slaying giants, right? When, or go back to Joshua, when Joshua was conquering everybody around, right, and expanding the kingdom. And then David comes and he takes over and builds this great empire. And then, and then after that is Solomon, and Solomon accumulated wealth for, for the nation of Israel. And it's just this incredible time. You think that's what God wants to restore here. The Jews, that's their mindset. God's going to give us the land back that he promised, and it's going to be good, and we're going to build a kingdom again, and Rome is fixing to get kicked out. We're going to throw the Roman emperor out in the dumpster, and we're going to own this place. And that's what they're thinking. And then Jesus begins to say things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. No, 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 Jesus. No, no, no. No, no. Blessed are the sword wielders. (laughs) Blessed are the butt kickers. Right? Like that's that's the stuff that Jesus needs to be saying. Jesus needs to be talking about us restoring the kingdom. He, if he's going to be the anointed one who's going to restore the kingdom, this is how it's got to happen. It's what the prophets had told them. It's the way that they had interpreted the entire Old Testament. Now Jesus is saying that the kingdom is here. The only way that can, they, they think the only way this can happen is if we start taking over. But Jesus talks about humility. He talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and not blood. Right? This is different. This is an upside-down idea. But it wasn't just this that made it upside-down. It also wasn't what the Romans valued. Right? The, Jesus' closest disciples that he's speaking to at this point, they are Jews, every one of them. They're all Jews who have been raised according to the Old Testament. They understood the prophecies of, of uh, the anointed ones, but they've also been living in a Roman world for a while. And no doubt they've taken on some of those Roman values into the world around them. This is not going to be what the Romans value. These traits are countercultural for the first century in Rome. Rome is very much about power and authority. And none of these speak of power and authority. These ideas are not going to be highly accepted by the masses. Nobody's going to sign up. Ooh. I want to sign up for that. Let me sign up for humility. That sounds fun. But, what, but it's not just Roman culture. Right? Do these fit our culture? Do these values fit what we believe as an American culture in 21st century? Let's look. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. We're not supposed to mourn. We've got to have our good face on for Facebook, right? Blessed are the humble. We're not about humility. We're all about ourselves. You do what's best for you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? Ah, there's a deep subject. There is nothing right in American culture. (laughs) What's right for you may not be right for me. So that doesn't make sense. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
We're not pure in anything. Blessed are the peacemakers. You'll see a lot of that going on. <laughs> Turn on the news. It can be Fox or CNN. Ain't nobody making peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This is, this is not fit the culture then. It does not fit the culture now. Jesus is calling Christians to be a part of the kingdom of heaven on earth, and it is not what you think. It is upside down in every aspect that you can imagine. And so when Jesus and his followers, even through the rest of the New Testament, when they speak about the kingdom, they're speaking about this countercultural idea. And that's what makes it so difficult. Point number two, this calling is difficult. Right? This is, this is the, the, if these are the principles of the kingdom, if this, is what, if this is what it looks like to be blessed in the kingdom, this is difficult. And here's why. If you're, even if you're not willing to admit it, it's probably not what you expected. Even when you signed up for Christianity, when you, when, you, when you went forward to receive Christ, you may have understood the gospel, you may have understood that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but did you understand that you were signing away every bit of pride, every, every ounce of future uh, look-at-me mentality? Did you, did you realize that? That when you accepted Jesus Christ, you were giving all that up? You may not have. See, the kingdom of heaven may not be what you expected either. And that's why it's so difficult. And it may not be what you value. Do you see value in humility? When you see somebody who's humble, do you think of that as a good trait? Or do you go, good night, man, they're just a pushover. When you see someone who's pure in heart, do you make fun of them for being some sort of square? Flashback to the old days there. Or new days. I don't know what's cool. Right? Are these things that we value? This is why it's so difficult because you and I are still living in the world. And we've got to recognize that Christ has called us to live different. Christ has called us to live differently from those around us. And this is upside down. It's different. But listen, for the love of all that's good, don't think of these as a moral code. Please don't. These are not a New Testament Ten Commandments. Okay? That's not what God has given here. Jesus isn't saying, here's eight things. If you can do these, you're in. Eight check boxes. Are you humble? Check. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Check. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Don't think of these as a moral code. Jesus is using these to show us what the kingdom looks like. He's showing us that what God values and what he values is different from the world. And honestly, look at the look at those things. We spend all of our time, and this is why when I was looking up sermons and I was looking at what other guys were teaching on this and just trying to figure out how I wanted to convey the Beatitudes, most preachers preach verse by verse through this. And they tell you what it looks like to be poor in spirit. And they give you the Greek word and they explain it to you. And then they talk about those who mourn and they give you the Greek word. And then they talk about what that looks like. I didn't want to do that because I think what we do is we focus on each individual part and we miss the whole. We miss what Jesus is trying to convey. 
This is not a moral code that you and I are supposed to do all these things. Here's, here's how I know that. Heath, you're crazy. No, I'm not. I want to read these to you again. I want you to tell me, is the emphasis on the first part of each one or the back end of each one? Okay, listen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now tell me. Is the emphasis on the first part or the second part of each one of those? Second part. The second part, the first part only happens because the second part is promised. You see, we get so hung up. We get so hung up. We want to do and don't list. That's what we want. We want God to tell us exactly what we're supposed to do so that we can try to keep it. But what we need to recognize in the Beatitudes, is this is not a moral code. It's not telling you do these things because the emphasis is on what God does in us and through us. The focus is not on being poor in spirit. The focus is on that the kingdom of heaven is given. The focus is not on mourning. It's focused on that you'll be comforted. Right? All of these promises are coming from some person. What we need to recognize what the, I think what the, the Beatitudes, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, what they teach us is that this God satisfies. Right? And until you get to that point, until you get to a point where you recognize that God satisfies every thirst and every need that you have, you're going to be trying to live right without the power. This God satisfies God is satisfying a deep-rooted desire in humanity in each one of these more than it tells humans how to live it assures us of God's love for us and his ability to meet our every need how silly does this sound happy are those who mourn see we spend all of our time on that part how goofy Happy are those who mourn. No, they're not happy. They're sad. That's why they're mourning. (laughs) But how can they be happy? For they will be comforted. All of the focus is on the back end. How can they be happy or blessed? Only because God does what he does. The Beatitudes, I argue, are more about what God does for us, in us, and through us than giving us a moral code by which to live. This is, they're about the, the upside-down kingdom. They are about a difficult calling, but they're about a God who satisfies. If you don't walk away from anything else, with it, from this message, with anything else, walk away with the idea that God satisfies our every need. And we can be humble because he's going to provide. We can be pure in heart even when the world's not. Because he's going to do what he does. 
God is the one who gives the kingdom. He comforts. He, in, he gives inheritance. He fills those who hunger. He shows mercy. He shows us himself. He calls us sons of God. And again at the end, he gives us the kingdom. God is the one who sustains and keeps us. If you came here looking for a moral code, find somewhere else. I can point you to a lot of good sermons online. <laughs> that's what a lot of people talk about. Here's the good news. God is not just the one who sustains us as we try to be humble. He's actually the one who gives us the greatest gift of salvation. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can today. That's the first promise of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom is that God wants to partner with humans. He doesn't leave us. He wants to partner with us. We talked about that last week. And today, if you've never trusted in Jesus, you can. Jesus is the perfect example of these beatitudes. He lived each one of them out on our behalf so that even when we fail, we can still experience the promises. Today, if you've never trusted in Jesus, we'd love to talk with you about what that looks like. Next Sunday, we're, going, we're doing what we call our East 101, which is our new members class. If you've been thinking about joining our church, being a part of what we're doing here, um, next Sunday during our second service, we're going to be in Building B, walking through that. We'd love to get you signed up for that today. You can talk, talk to a counselor during the invitation response time, or you can talk to us after the service. Just let us know that you're coming. And listen, there is no better way to learn how to live in the kingdom than getting a dress rehearsal every Wednesday night, okay, <laughs> through groups. I'm telling you, that's what they are. Our groups are an opportunity for you to sit in a group and talk about what does it look like to live in the kingdom. Now, that's not the focus, of it, but like that's what you're doing. You're opening up God's word and you're asking, how does this apply to our life? How can we live differently? What can we do? That's the kingdom. If you're not in a group, we're starting them this Wednesday night, on Wednesday nights. It's a dress rehearsal before you go face the world. It's a dress rehearsal for you to figure out what it looks like to live in the kingdom. Or today, if you just need prayer, to ask God to help you in one of these areas. But I hope today that you see the things we talked about in the Beatitudes, and I pray that God has used it uh, to help you grow. So I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we're going to sing one more song. Patrick and his team are going to come up, and uh, we're going to sing one more song just as a response time. You're welcome to respond with your feet and come and pray, or we have counselors by, counselors by the back door, a male and a female, and so you can go back there and talk with them as well. But I'll be down front too. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll stand and respond. Father, we trust uh, that your word, um, God, changes lives. And God, there's no, there's no argument I can make, uh, God, to convince anybody that, uh, to trust in you. Um, but God, I, your word does it. Your word does it for us. God, when accompanied by the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray that today, God, uh, your people have heard your word. And God, that we would uh, be encouraged challenge, God, to live as part of the kingdom. But God, first, finding our rest in what you've done for us. Father, we trust in you and we give this time to you. 
be with us as we respond in our hearts and with our actions. In Jesus' name.